Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Recording. This is Kevin Pro with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Preston Brown. Preston, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Glad to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I uh, man, you moved the prop. I mean, he had the he had the most wicked looking prop right behind him just a second ago. It was this bat with like barbed wire around it, you know? So it, it, I think it was like a like attitude correction for podcast hosts that get a little too nosy. So. Man, thanks again for joining us. If you and I met at a at a networking event, how would you introduce yourself? And I, I am really interested in this question because I think you may have the biggest challenge of any guest I've had all year. <laughs> you know, I, I generally just start with, my name's Preston. Good to meet you. What do you do? I'm, I'm going to try to let them start talking first. I'm going to try to get to know them a little bit because in, in my business, and I've got 18 of them now, when people say that question, what do you do? It, it, it becomes a very confusing way to answer it. And then you want to try to align to the person and build rapport. And, you know, I own companies from home building to real estate brokerage to, to a travel agency for high net worth people. So more, more often than not, when I'm bumping into somebody, my first question is like, hey, how you doing? You know, what brought you here? What, what, what's the outcome you're looking for? And you get to know a little bit about them. And then from there, like, if there's any way you can add value to each other, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be expressed. Man, that is uh, that is a unique approach, and I much appreciated and and uh, just the kind of the humble humble start to our to our chat today. But so it's really interesting. You just kind of said this in passing. I've got eighteen businesses. I mean, I think you win the award for most active businesses of any guest we've had in four and a half years. So uh, there's there's probably like a T-shirt got to come in the mail or something. But man, nobody just wakes up and says I, I'm going to start eighteen businesses. Let's let's no. take a step back and say, okay, how what was that journey? How, what started the journey? Well, you know, what, what what started the journey on on business was, you know, to to go into a long story. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, my dad got cheated out of business. He went mm. wanted to chase the American dream, and he was a beautiful man, a brilliant guy. He was my hero. He was my stepdad. He was six foot uh, six. He was broad shouldered, star football player. That he was my hero. I wanted to be just like him. He quit his job, wanted to go and set our family free. I grew up in a little trailer park in Canyon Teo, Texas. And, you know, my dad knew a lot about things. He, he, he was on a team where they made a car in the 80s. He got 1,500 miles per gallon. It never went more than wow. 15 miles per hour <laughs> there. Uh, but, but he pioneered all these different things with these people that he worked with at, at a college he worked at. And when he opened his business, he knew a lot about engineering, a lot about creating things, a lot about making things. One of those gifts that entrepreneurs had, mm. but he didn't have the gift of understanding human nature. He didn't understand building. He didn't understand charging people what, what his time was worth. He didn't understand collections at all. And, you know, I remember when he opened his business, he worked in this little shed outside of our mobile home and we, we actually stole an air conditioner to put in there so that he wouldn't die in the El Paso heat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm seven years old stealing an air conditioner, right? There's the beginning of my story. And, you know, one, one day, my mother lost her job about three months in, and money got scarce. He, he didn't know how to collect, as I said, and so I, the fight happened. My family had lots of love in it. We weren't used to the parents fighting, and, and I remember that cast iron frying pan gets thrown across <laughs> the room and lodges into the cardboard-esque wall of the mobile home and, and then clanks to the floor. And I don't remember all the words that were said. They weren't very happy words, but I remember her saying, a real man can feed his family, 
collect a check or don't come back. Mm. And I got in the truck. I was a charity piece. We drove up to a house not far from where I live now. And my dad went and confronted a man. And I knew it was going to happen. I knew it. Before we got there, I knew he was going to walk up to this guy, my six foot six daddy. And then here's this like five foot nine little like pipsqueak weasel of a man. My dad was going to demand his money. We were going to collect. We are going to go home. It's fine. But it didn't happen. It was, it was very shocking to a, a seven-year-old kid to see your hero go from demanding to asking to groveling and begging mm. and then to settling, collecting peanuts compared to what he was owed. And, you know, we drove down to the local Smiths. It's an Albertsons now. And I got to ride back with a box of ramen noodles on my lap. And I got to see my hero cry. And he wow. talked to me. He didn't know what to say. But he, he made me on that day. And I don't think he knew he was doing this. He made me a corporate machine. I mean, he made me, between him and my mom, and my mom was a counselor. She was very into psychology. She used to always say, figure out the game and figure out how you win. Everybody has a game. If you learn their game, you learn how to win, right? And uh, that hit me. And then, of course, my dad's pain hit me. And everybody wants to heal the wounds of their father, the sins of the funds, the sins of the father, the sins of the son, and all that. Mm -hmm. That uh, translated into me opening businesses, me being very money motivated because I never wanted somebody to take advantage of me for money. I, I didn't care if I had to be hated, feared, loved. I mean, of course you prefer love, but if you don't know how to get there, you don't want to be anybody's slave. And yeah. I truly believe that, you know, not understanding money and lack of financial wealth leads you to, you know, especially at the minimum wage level, something akin to slavery. And if you look at slavery and what it was, it was bare subsistence, not yep. enough money, basic shelter, like limited of any transportation. It's like a modern day sharecropping almost. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what that is. And, and that's what my father was relegated to. So I became a corporate machine. I was the typical, you know, Donald Trump-esque, you're fired kind of mm. guy. And uh, that went on until I was 2019 and fairly wealthy at the time. 2019, I uh, lost my dad. He sat down in his favorite chair and went to sleep and didn't wake up and it, it, it was a shift in paradigm. It took mm. money from the meaning of life to, holy smokes, maybe it's love that's the meaning of life. Maybe there's mm. something more than all this money. And, and I had some money. And, and, and what's really interesting is since 2019, and actually it was probably since 2017, 2018, where I really started connecting with family, but especially it was driven home in 2019 when that happened. Um, my business has really started taking off. And I mean, just, just exponentially taking off, going from making hundreds of thousands, all of a sudden making millions to one of them getting valuations in the hundreds of millions. And, and just, you kind of sitting there and you're like, is this really real? And, and, and you're sitting back because everybody will they'll overestimate a year all the time, but they underestimate a decade. And they don't, they don't realize that once you get the formulas right, once you get yep. the hack right, it, it goes up. And, and once it's no longer transactional, that's the other thing. If it's, if everything is about, hey, I'm going to give you this and I get this, I mean, imagine that in your marriage. Oh, that'd be a pretty, pretty scary thing. If, hey, I give you this, you give me that. That's not called a marriage. It's called something else that we probably won't talk about here, right? So, I mean, you got to look. It's got to be more than transactional. And when it becomes a passion, then it becomes about love. And, and it, it, the businesses kind of become families. I mean, me, me opening all of these companies, I met my needs through money. And so I become exceptional in one area and I'd see if I can go figure out a game in another area. And then I figure mm -hmm. out a game in another area. And, 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 and eventually you have a lot of areas. It's kind of like being a terrible parent with four kids. So you had like five more and uh, you know, so it just it stacks and, and, and that kind of created this new challenge where I had to learn automation. And once you start figuring out business automation, businesses are the sure. best 
assets in the universe. I mean, the real secret to getting wealthy is open a business. It's, it's not buy real estate. It's not save your money. It's not invest in the stock market. Those are all good pieces of the pie. But, but the main ingredients in that pie is the business because yep. in a business today, you build that to a million dollars in revenue and say it's half a million in profits, say it takes you a year to get there. Well, even if you're working day to day in that business, you could probably sell it at a three and a half times multiple of your net mm -hmm. income, which or is more. A yeah. bucks. So you, you literally generated your profits in that year, plus a million and a half bucks if you sold it. That's, that's one year to $2 million. I mean, that's not a terrible situation. And that $2 million, people could retire on that these days. So having the formula right, my journey started with my dad. And I think every real journey does start with a family member. But my dad was my best teacher when I was young, and he became an even better teacher when he left and taught me the biggest lesson that money is not the meaning of life, it's love. So, you know, if you're not well, loving Sometimes, though, you know, what you, you talked about, and I don't want to go back to kind of that early start. I mean, you know, sometimes the best teachers are also learning what not to do. You know, I mean, he, he probably also showed you along the on the pathway things that, you know, I, I will not do that when I have that opportunity. And and uh, but it is it is interesting, I mean, because you didn't you didn't know those lessons without having to learn them kind of on the the hard road to to education. So walk us through kind of that early process. You know, I started my first business. It was I was washing cars. I was selling candy bars. I was, you know, fill in the blank and say, just walk us through quickly what that that kind of rough journey was before you finally had that aha moment. I mean, heck, the and, and, and honestly, it wasn't even a rough journey. Yeah, it, it was it, it just started kind of I'd say middle school time, I, I, we would go to Grandy's every, every night because my mom was going to school and doing the traditional thing of get an education, get a good job, build a retirement, and that's how you get free, right? And every time we'd go to Grandy's, I would put, grab handfuls of these little lemon juice packets. And, and so this was my first education on building a brand and something like that. And I, I liked the lemon juice packets. Like they, they were you know, kind of suck it up and get a sour in your face. And, and it was kind of an experience, right? these lemon juice packets, I'd take them to school and I'd be sucking up these lemon juice packets and having that like pucker face. And the other kids would be like, I want to try one. And, and I'd start giving them the lemon juice packets. And I'd be like, well, can I have another one? I'd be like, 10 cents. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I was never the kid that had the money for the ice cream man later on that day. So, uh, and, and so all of a sudden I'm there at the ice cream truck with all the rich kids at, after school. And so I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So if I give these lemon packs that I just took from Grandy's, well, so that turned into I took a lot more lemon packs. And so so my business, I guess, started as a kid stealing. Grandies was like going, how can we go through so much lemon? <laughs> well, and, and and it actually happened. The manager caught me one day and he was like, Is this why I'm going through a box a week of lemon juice? And I was like, Well, yeah. And he was like, Well, dude, like, what are you doing with them? Like, and I'm like, Well, I'm selling them. And he was like, okay. And he was a really cool guy. I guess he was my first business mentor, if you want. Uh, and, and he was like, look, man, this box cost me $6. So I don't remember the number, but it was a couple bucks. And he's like, there's probably 500 of them in here. So, you know, I don't know what you're selling them for, but if you're selling them for heck 10 cents, you can make money. Like, right. So I, I, I gave him $6. I think my mother loaned me $6 and <laughs> I gave him $6 and I bought the box. And so now I'm buying lemon juices and I'm selling those lemon juice packs at school. And I'm going through a box a week. And then I start going through two boxes a week and, 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 then I'm enlisting a friend to sell lemon juices for me and I'm splitting it with him. Mm. So I'm commissioning him yep. per, per <laughs> to, to sell more lemon juices. 
And of course that ended as quick as it started because it was just a fad, but it, 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 I realized I was like, oh my gosh, like, so we built a brand around this thing and then everybody had a problem that they wanted more. And I started selling a solution to their problem. And so that got me excited about problems. And one day I was talking to somebody or other and they were talking, they were, they were complaining about builders and every builder puts house numbers at different parts of the house. Like one might put it in the garage, one puts it through the front door. And this is, you know, before GPS was a big thing. They were like, yeah, it's really stupid. Like how's the fire engine going to find the house if there's a problem? Like maybe, you know, the street and obviously if it's fire engine it might be on fire, but what if somebody had a heart attack? You, you want mm. to know which address, right? And so I thought about that and I was like, well, you know, some houses they haven't like painted on the curbs and gosh, that seems to be a smarter approach. And so I started walking up and down streets when I was in high school and this became my real business education because this is where I actually made some money. And we were doing like 200 houses a weekend. Wow. Bucks a house. And, and we, we get four guys and I'd pay each of them like a hundred bucks and, and I'd run up and down selling and, and these guys would be painting or helping me sell or whatever they were doing. And uh, we'd, we'd make 2000 bucks. I'd walk out of that weekend with 1600 bucks and I'm in high school. Mm. You know, and, and when we got lazy, we'd go do 50 houses. And you had the nicest car in the parking lot. Oh my gosh, man. I got more ride the only car amongst my friends, right? <laughs> so yeah, and 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 I paid for my car. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mother, like one day she lost her job. She's like, maybe I'll go to work for you. And I'm 13. I'm thinking, maybe. <laughs> and and so anytime you're selling anything, like it, it, say, say your your listeners are startup entrepreneurs. Nobody buys something unless they're moved to buy it. Okay, they, they have to have an emotion around it. So your sales pitch needs to generate an emotion. And that emotion, it, it becomes kind of problem, solution, problem, right? Mm-hmm. So problem, you're, you're presenting a problem. If you're not willing to talk about problems, and, and we live in an interesting age, we live in a time where the, we, the biggest problem we have in our society right now, Kevin, is we think we shouldn't have any problems. And, and, and that's a huge issue. And entrepreneurs, they get excited about problems. They love problems and they love solutions and they build machines that create those solutions. And then they, they scale those machines and make those machines larger and they make the world a better place by providing those solutions. And normally the cost of producing that solution is less than the price you sell it for. And that's where you get a margin and that's mm-hmm. where you get freedom. And, and you can create jobs and opportunities because most people probably don't want the risks associated with, with you know, creating that big machine or small machine, whatever you're creating. Most people just want to go to work. But if, if, if you like solving problems and you like creating wealth and you like making money, then you have to start linking. Well, earning money equals slavery. We are made in God's image, I believe. And I think if we're going to look at in God's image, God didn't earn any of us. I mean, he created us. And, and so we should probably all stop earning as, as fast as we can and start creating. But the only way you're going to create is by building a system that solves a problem. And so if you realize that the sale is the solution, and when you go and talk to that customer, you genuinely, like authentically and really love helping, like, and, and let, me, let, me, let me dive off into a little squirrel path here. Every guru I've ever heard talk says, oh, you gotta hustle, you gotta hustle your way to success. It's such a lie. I mean, and, and the best lies, are seated with just an ounce of truth. I mean, you do have to hustle to become successful, but you have to be passionate to be willing to hustle long-term. Otherwise it will be work and you will be exhausted. So passion is cause, hustle is effect. Then you're going to have 
enough love, you've fallen in love with solving this problem to continue doing that labor of love and the work required to get there. So, you know, as, as you're looking at meeting this customer and authentically telling them about their problem, that's what you have to do if you're selling, you have to tell them they have a problem and, and you should probably try to do it in an authentic, genuine, kind and loving way. Then you tell them there is a solution and there's lots of options for you to solve it. And I have one of them and here's my story. And, you know, facts may tell, but stories sell and you tell them your story. And the next thing you know, they're trusting you. You have rapport. And that rapport, they're, they're, they're not buying your product. They're buying a solution to their problem. Mm -hmm. and they're buying into you because they trust you. And so that's kind of where the startup starts. The sale becomes the solution. The, the solution becomes the gift that they have and potentially a referral customer that's now sending you more leads and then building your business. And then there's not enough time for you to serve everybody. So you know what you have to do? You have to raise your prices. Why? Because how do we measure price? By demand. If you have too many customers, that's why economics works, right? Like yeah. when there's not enough supply, prices go up because there's too much demand for the supply. So demand dictates pricing. And so then all of a sudden you're making more money. Well, now you hire that second person, that third person, that fourth person, then that's called scaling. Now there's more people solving the problem for people. But now it's probably not that these people are ever going to be able to deliver the way you have. You better be able to create a true brand identity. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's where you start learning about how to build a cult. So you, know, you want to get into, into the interesting side of business. Every business leader that's a good business leader is really a cult leader. Do you know what? What are the first four letters in the word culture? Cult. Interesting, right? And what is a cult? I mean, we all think of David Koresh. We think of Waco, Texas. We think of something terrible. And that's, <laughs> that's where the human brain tends to go. But it's not like, yeah, it's, it's great to look at the bad, but we should also look at the good. If you're going to look at what is a culture, it's a group with a similar identity. And they're generally passionately loyal to that identity because they solve the problem. So when you build that culture and that cultish loyalty within your team, around solving the problem, then all of a sudden, everybody's trying to build their brand with their customer. Stop, build your brand with your team. Your team will build your brand with your customer. Then when people see that and feel that and, and, and that resonates, oh my gosh, you start exploding and you get to a different level of the journey where you have to learn to stop being exceptional, start being optimal and et cetera, et cetera. It just, it just keeps going. It's your, your, uh, your, your formula that you mentioned earlier has an extra element to it. I mean, you said problem, solution, and then problem. So talk about the, that. I've never had that second problem being added to the, I mean, problem solution is a, is a pretty common, you know, formula, but you added a, at a third element. So tell, tell us about that variable. Well, so problem, solution, problem is you want to leave them with a problem. Okay. And the reason you want to leave them with a problem is problems are gifts. And so, so the initial problem is you're just mentioning there is one, okay? You're, you're, you're starting in your, and, and that's, that's a piece of the formula. It's not the whole formula. I mean, the real formula is that's how you bring up the problem. You bring up the problem, you bring up, you have a solution, and then you go back to the problems. Because not every sale is one day. Right. Like, like, you know, I got married, right? And, and I'll tell you what, when I met her, when I first saw her, whew, I was ready. She wasn't. It took a little longer to sell the idea, okay? Like my wife's an amazing woman and I'm a great salesman, but one day didn't work, Kevin. So, I mean, I had to put a problem solution problem process in there to where she's thinking, man, maybe he is, but like they, sometimes people need a little time to question, time to think. So the other part of the formula is like, like you, you wanna 
build rapport. You want to tap into their heart. You want to sell heart to heart. Okay. I mean, what, even if you're not doing it in person, some folks are going to be like, well, I do an online business. Cool. Do a webinar, film yourself and build rapport when you're filming yourself. Like people are going to listen to your podcast. You know, it's not going to be happening. We're not going to be speaking live for, for probably most of the people that listen, they're going to hear us talking and it's recorded. And, and some will say, you know what? I don't like that guy. He sounds crazy. And others will say, man, that guy's awesome. I really like what he's saying. And, and so you're going to build rapport with some, you're not going to build rapport with all, but frankly, haters are your fans too. They just advertise you in a different way, right? So you want to build rapport. That's the first step is heart to heart sales. Next step is, is you want to give them something to think about. You want to put something in their head. So if you're going to go in heart first, you're going to go head second. And, and when I say think about, you're creating a question. You're putting a question in their mind. Then you give them hands, something to do with that tool. Like, like the best salesman in the world is making you experience the product. He's giving you an emotion. Okay, so the hands piece is the emotion. If you go down to the Tesla dealership today and you can't afford a Tesla, but you test drive a Tesla and you put it in ludicrous mode and the salesman's going to pull you off into an alley and he's going to make you just hit the gas. And you are going to launch in a way that no McLaren or Ferrari will have ever launched you in what looks like a soccer mom car. <laughs> and you're gonna be like, holy smokes, I have to have one. Like I own a Tesla, it's a Model X. It looks like a tick. It looks like a giant blood sucking animal. It is not a sexy, beautiful car. It's, it's, it's a big tick. You know, like I pulled these things off my dogs. Like it's ugly. And I'm sorry, Elon, I really admire you if you ever listen to this podcast, but, but like, it's an ugly car, but I had to buy one. Because when I got to experience that, I'm a sports car guy, right? I have a Corvette. It's got like, I don't know, 800 horsepower on the block, more than 600 at the tires. Like it's, it's a powerful car. And I've modified the heck out of it. And it can't do what the Tesla can do zero to yep. six. I mean, it can get to 210, 220 miles an hour, but who's doing that every day, right? Mm -hmm. So in traffic, the Tesla's a better vehicle. And so they're hitting you with that, that part where you're getting in an emotional attachment and then you go back to this heart portion of sales where you're like, look, there are many solutions. Part of the sales process with all of my companies is we're going to make it 100% your decision. We're going to end and we're going to kind of, depending on whether we're selling to a man or selling to a woman, we're going to hit three things. There's three things you must never do to, to a woman. You never uh, make her feel unseen, make her feel unsafe or make her feel misunderstood. But what if you, with your product, make her feel understood, make her feel seen and make her feel safe? Like if you're showing a new home that you just built to a woman, you probably shouldn't be talking about how much you're going to save on, on, on your taxes because of this, that, and the other. The man might care about that, but you might go ask her, I want you to feel this kitchen. How does this kitchen feel to you? Like, just imagine the kids playing over there. Like give her an experience behind it, right? Because why is she buying that? She's buying that for her family. She's buying that for her children. So you have to have some top of mind thought where like, hey, I'm going to walk a mile in that person's shoes. And for a man... You never make them feel criticized. You never close off emotionally to them and you never make them feel controlled. So we're going to put them in 100% control. And then we're going to do this other thing. We're going to compliment them. Man, you are so smart for buying right now. You know, with all these rising interest rates, a lot of people think they're more married to the rate. They're not, they're married to the house. You could get a better deal on a house today than you could three months ago. So you're going to save 10 or 20 grand. Once the government's done with all these rate hikes and their quantitative tightening, they'll probably go into quantitative easing, easing like every other cycle ever. You're going to refinance this. Yeah, you're probably going to pay a little more, but man, you're so smart right now. I wish I was smart enough to do this because I paid probably an extra 50, 60 grand on my house. And then all of a sudden the guy's like, 
I'm amazing, right? So, so you complimented him, right? Instead of criticizing, you open emotionally, you're playful, you're fun. Like part, part of our sales process with everyone is, we ask this, this question, hey, can I be authentic? Do I have to be politically correct? Which I think means dishonest. Or, or can I just tell you about our product? Tell you how people live? Like, like we'll, we'll have some fun. And, and, and we have a bunch of jokes around every different part of it and their stories. And, and then some of them, they, they, they can be a little bit crazy. Like, you know, we, we have a sign up, sign of one of our home builder um, products that says size does matter. Now it, we build bigger homes, but that's not necessarily where everybody's brain goes. Mm. And so it's playful, it's fun, it's ridiculous. And, and so we ask, can we be authentic? We give a fun sales pitch. There's jokes, there's all this stuff. And then we leave them in complete control. We're like, look, here's the agreement. What I want you to do is look at it. Notice this last paragraph. You have seven days to back out for any reason. You get all your money back. Right now, what I want you to do, because it's a hot market, control the real estate. You're in complete control. But yes, I'm going to give you this agreement. Yes, we're going to register it today because this house is yours today. I want you to go shop everything in the market. I want you to check it all. And I want you to prove me right or prove me wrong. I already know you're going to prove me right. I know you're going to fall in love with this product, but I want you 100% in control. Do you know how many people actually go shopping after they sign that? None. Very few. Like, like, like maybe one in 10. And so when they're in control, when you've gone part head, hands, heart. When you've gone problem, solution, problem, a lot of them sign that day. Now, when you honor them as a man and a woman, the way they are, and say, hey, you know, I, I, I want to make you feel seen, understood. I want to make you feel safe in this product, you know, like, and you build your stories and you build your sales processes around that. And, and then every sales process also should have stories in it. If you don't have stories in your sales process, then, then you're missing the point on human nature where we have kind of sat behind or around campfires for, you know, 40,000 years of our ancestors' history listening to what stories. So we're a little influenced by them. I mean, if you think about every movie ever written, there's a hero, right? Like the yep. hero is the guy with the problem. Journey. Yep. And there's the, the guide. Guide compels action. Hero succeeds or fails, and then you have the ending. Like that, I, I'm sorry if I just screwed up every single movie for you for the rest of your life, but it's the same movie over and over again. Different hero, different guide, same movie. It, you have to have a story pattern where what's the company's journey? What's this? You go heart, head, hands, heart, and then you go problem, solution, problem. And even the ones that think about it come back because nobody else takes the time to do that. So when you apply formulas, whether it's formulas for selling or formulas for marketing and, and, and you look at, okay, well, hey, shoot, in this company, I need to have enough leads. So I should have formulas around marketing to get leads. I need to have enough sales from those leads, formulas around this. I need to have the capacity to deliver on my product promises because every time you sold something, what you made was a promise, okay? And not that you can't make mistakes. In fact, a lot of times if you make a mistake and then you fix it, they like you even more. Like, because they're like, oh man, you know, this all went wrong and I got so scared. And they came in and said, you know what? We're going to take care of this. Like, yep. like and, and then you have the ability to collect and, and, and cash flow. And part of the problem solution problem is they remember the problem. Yep. And when they remember the problem, they remember the journey. You were the guy, they were the hero. You took them on a journey. They start referring you. That problem becomes part of their story. They're staying with you for the rest of your life. Right here, you bought real estate inside their head. They're your best marketing out there. And so problem, solution, problem. I hope that answers the question. It's no, kind of a long form answer. No, absolutely. And I, and it, I mean, it, it, there were so many things that generated, you know, just kind of these tangential questions I want to continue to ask you, but I am, I'm curious about just your, your business creation process. 
So I know you, you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail sometimes. So they, if you're a serial entrepreneur, I mean, everything looks like an opportunity. So, you know, you probably have this gear spinning all the time, but is there a, is there a concise like process that you, that you put ideas through that you think would be a, a good help to somebody that, that does see a lot of opportunities like yourself? So let me give you a litmus test. So yeah, I have a litmus test for business and this litmus test works hundred percent of the time. And I, I have a formula. Anybody can reach out to me. Uh, we, we've got the formulas all documented. You put a problem at the top of the formula, it filters through, you know exactly what to do in your business. But a lot of people started asking me, well, what if it's not my business? Can I use this in my marriage or can I use this in this? And I started thinking like, I don't know. And you know what? We tested it and you can't. Not, I mean, it works sometimes. Uh, it works hundred percent of the time in business. Mm-hmm. And sometimes outside, like, like it, it's, it's not designed for that though. Like, it's like, Hey, you know, could, could I take my truck off road? Yes. But if you went and bought a Polaris, it's more designed for it. Like the truck might do it, but it's probably not the right tool. So there's a litmus test for business and my formulas work hundred percent of the time in business, but to be considered a business, you have to pass through three filters that I call the litmus test. One, there needs to be profitability. Now, when I say profitability, you need to have profitability, not profit, okay? So when you're looking at profitability, when you're a startup, there's no profits. Like you might mm-hmm. go out and actually invest money and you have not made any money yet. So there's profit ability, not profit yet. So either have profit or a plan for profit and that equals your profitability metric, right? Um, two, you need to have productivity. Productivity is critical. I mean, productivity, like, you know, right now in this current event, we have everybody talking about politicians. We have everybody talking about economics. We have everybody talking about all this. Do you know what the foundation to every single economy anywhere on earth is? Production. Yep. Like, 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 I don't care what people say about oil, this side or the other, like, oh, we shouldn't have, you know, we need to kill the oil and gas industry. Okay. But if we're going to kill the oil and gas industry, we're really just going to go buy it from Iran and Saudi Arabia and Venezuela and everywhere else because we still need the production because you're either going to get the production here or you're going to get the production somewhere else until you've replaced it. Now, I'm not against replacing it, but we should at least replace it before we kill it. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah. Like, like maybe don't sell your car until you have another one selected that you're going to buy, right? Like keep the lights on. But Production, productivity is the foundation of every economy everywhere. If there's not production, it's not a business. If there's not some moving part creating some function of value to somebody that is having a solution delivered to them that you're delivering, you're the problem solver, then there's no production. And next, purpose. And when I say purpose, like, can I, can I tell you who annoys me more than anybody on this planet? My wife. My wife loves to jab me and annoy me and hustle me and hassle me. And I am so in love with her. And she is my purpose. I put up with more crap from that woman than any other woman on the planet. And she puts up with more crap from me, to be perfectly fair. I mean, we are a very playful bunch and we have a lot of fun with each other. But she gives me a lot of, a lot of stress and a lot of love. Your business is going to do that. It's no different than a relationship like a marriage or a children. I mean, like everybody loves kids, right? Like, tell me how much you enjoy diapers. Like, I just want you to breathe in, take a deep breath and tell me that you enjoy diapers, Kevin. Nobody's going to say yes, but, but you love the kid, right? Like your child is beautiful. That's like a tiny little diamond encrusted angel sent to you by God. And then they poop and you're like, Ooh, 
heck is that? You made that. You're not an angel right now, but you change it because you love them. So the best things in life come with problems. I mean, problems are gifts. I mean, what are the best moments of your life, Kevin? I'll bet you you overcame adversity in those moments, huh? Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt. And I, I mean, it's, man, that'll preach. I mean, those, you got three P's, you got three, three points to the, your sermon and all, they all let begin with the same letter, but um, I, I just love the process. I mean, the, and when you talk about purpose, does passion come into play kind of in the purpose side of things? Does it, does it matter that you care about what you're doing? Pa pa so yeah, passion and purpose. It's kind of integrated they're, together. They're, they're two parts of the same whole. Okay. Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, you know, the two rules to be successful. There's only two. I mean, there's a million different ways to, to say this, right? But the, everybody's got a different analogy. And here's one of them, right? Two, two rules. You want to be successful. You got to follow these two rules. hundred percent, Kevin. One, work as if you cannot trust in God. Two, trust in God as if you cannot work. You do those two things. It's going to meet you in the middle. God's going to be right there. You're going to be walking. Sometimes he'll be carrying you the other time, right? So it's, it's kind of one of those like, huh, that's like a little paradoxical, you know? And, and like, like take the peas, like, let's have fun with them real quick, right? Because any, any formula, if you can't test it, it's not worth its salt. So let's remove purpose. Let's remove passion. Like we, we just wired some money today. We're buying another apartment community. We're buying a lot of apartments right now. We think that's a good investment. You know what I don't care about? That deal. I'm doing it for the tax benefits. I'm doing it for the cash flow. Like if I had to go run the apartments, I wouldn't buy it. I, <laughs> I'm not excited about it at all but I understand the economic fundamentals of it and I have the excess capital that I'll invest in it. Now, there's definitely productivity. There's a product, there's production, the people are getting housing, there's solutions to problems. I mean, there's definitely a business there for somebody, but for me, I'm an investor. I'm, it, you, I remove my purpose, I am an investor. Like, and, and there's lots of people out there that are like putting these deals together. I'm just an investor in other people's deals mm. because I have no passion behind it. It's not yeah. for me. Now, so, so if... If there's no passion, it's an investment. Well, what happens if there's no profitability? Like say you are passionate about golf. Hobby, it's a hobby. Now, if one day there's profitability beginning to come in, if you're Tiger Woods, that's a business now. All of a sudden you're a brand, like you being good at golf is gonna get you all these you know, deals where they're gonna put you on Wheaties boxes and this, that, and the other, like oh, that became a business, right? No, no, no. What if you're passionate, right? Like you're very passionate about it and there's profitability, but there's no productivity. You're a con artist. You're cheating people. Yep. And so anytime you remove even one of the P's, and I, I love it because like now we've started building the social media brand. We've got a couple hundred thousand followers across different uh, sites. And, and I get outreach like on Instagram every day. And I was like, I'm going to sell you this or I'm going to do this. And, and I like to ask questions that are related to how to figure out, okay, is there productivity? Is there purpose? Is there you know, profitability at the other end? And you can root out who's a con artist and who's this and who's that real quick by asking these three questions. So the litmus test is not just, do you have a business? The litmus test is also the person trying to get you to give them money. Do they have a business? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, I I, uh, I love that process, and it's 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 simple enough that you can do it, you know, pretty quickly. You can assess ideas and opportunities, you know, very quickly, and oh, yeah. you know, and do due diligence at the same time. But and I I could just continue to ask you questions all day, but I, I know you got to step into whatever your next thing is today. But 
man, where's the the best place that people can learn more that, uh, you know, you, you certainly tweak their interest in this in this podcast. So where's the best place that they could catch up with you? And, you know, what's a what's a good way to connect? You know, I mean, my Instagram uh, or, or my TikTok or my Facebook, they're all the Preston Brown. I wanted to just get Preston Brown. I didn't want to put a the in front of it, but there was there was no way somebody else that was way more handsome than me, this big, buff, black, professional football player, beautiful man. He stole my name. I think he might be older than <laughs> beat me. Beat you to it. So he beat me to my name. Yep. Uh, and so he took that. So I got to be the Preston Brown. I got like a little surname thing going. Uh, but the Preston Brown on any of the social medias, look me up. I mean, I put out all this content. We have all the formulas, everything. We give it away. Like, I mean, some folks do reach out and say, oh, can I get coaching? And yeah, we've got coaching opportunities too. But the content is there and it's all there. And it's there for you to use for free. So if you're a young entrepreneur or an older entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. At any stage that you're in, you can go there and figure out, oh, how do I get to the next level? Or, or, or how do I transition? How do I sell this company? How do I do this? All the content's there and it's all free. And then if people do want the coaching, just message us and I can connect with our team and and, and get you set up for that too. We can go from there. Well, man, I, I appreciate you just taking time today and uh, and putting your uh, weapon of mass destruction away at the at the before we hit the record button. But man, thank you again for just taking time and and entertaining us and and informing us all at the same time and and really just playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Preston, thank thanks you. again. Have a great weekend. Have an amazing day. Out there. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.